Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. I always want to hear from you. Get your feedback. Of course, read us over at Indy Cornrows. And let us know what you think. I know Caitlin's got some great stuff cooking up pretty soon. I'm working on some stuff uh, now that school is sort of finishing up, at least for a minute. Um, but really psyched to be joined by Rob Schaefer from over at NBC Sports Chicago uh, to talk about the upcoming Bulls matchup tomorrow. Um, first of all, Rob, how are you doing, man? Good, Mark. It's, uh, it's good to be on with you. No complaints. Uh, I should Chicago. hope not, man. We've, we've been talking for five minutes. Just get, there's <laughs> yeah, already yeah. complaints. We got problems, man. But Yeah, but just uh, more, more in the life realm in general. It's summer weather out in Chicago. We're getting towards that. And um, the Bulls won a basketball game yesterday, which was which was a new thing around here. So Yeah, the first um, of the Vuce era, right? That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, his first home game. Yeah, it's uh so I guess man dude, I have so many questions I want to ask you because I've I've really enjoyed following this Bulls team, especially Thad Young. Thad's like my favorite player. So I knew it's, I knew we get to some Thad. Oh dude, it's, that's uh, my wheelhouse I, too. I wrote I wrote an article about that earlier this year and he's just uh, he's one of my favorite dudes to watch. Um but I think I guess I'll just start broader obviously. Um in, in terms of the actual trade happening for Nikola Vucevic, um sending Wendell Carter out obviously. Uh, and a couple draft picks. Um, what was your initial reaction to that and um, kind of what that signifies from, from the front office making their first uh, kind of significant move? Yeah, my, my initial reaction was, wow, bold. <laughs> yeah, that's wow, me too. Surprise. E- even as someone who's fairly plugged into the team, I mean, this front office has moved in relative silence really since the beginning of their tenure and were inactive in their first offseason. And the way it was explained was, it's an evaluation year. We have a bunch of young guys here that we uh, haven't gotten a chance to evaluate up close and have our coaching staff and kind of our optimal circumstances around them. So we'll take the season uh, or part of the season and, and see what things look like and make decisions down the road. I mean, you knew coming in that changes were going to be made at some point. Yeah. And uh, the, the deadline moves were a, a big kind of push all the chips in move in terms of my impressions for the ripples of it, I think the first thing that it signaled to me was a commitment to Zach Levine, um, just because you're making that move to pair him with another all-star, maximize his prime years. You know, he just turned 26, so he's entering that stage of his career now. Um, it, it's a move that sets them up, they hope, to jump probably a little bit higher in the playoff picture this season and then continue building the roster in the offseason because, I mean, they're clearly not done with this team. There are still gaps to fill. Um, and then we'll see what it looks like moving forward. But I can always respect, especially as someone who covers the team on a night-to-night, day-to-day basis and has seen a lot of bad basketball from this team over the last few years, I can certainly respect the intentionality and the gumption it kind of takes to, you know, go all in and actually try to win games rather than continue to kick the can down the road. Um, Obviously, you know, you part with draft capital, you part with a guy in Wendell Carter Jr., who I've I've always had a lot of belief in. That's a heavy price to pay, but it's the price it takes to to get an all-star, so. Yeah, definitely, and I think – you know, just going off that right away, you tweeted out, I think it was uh, two or three days ago about um, how this team technically has like the same record uh, at the yeah. same time as the team last year. And uh, first of all, that was stark, uh, very telling. Um, but also 
Like just based on that, I mean, just in my watch, I've probably seen 20, 25 or 30 Bulls games this year. Um, they definitely look better. I mean, like it, it's still the same record, of course, but um, do you at least feel a little bit more uh, like this team is more ready to be towards winning than, than last year's team? Absolutely. I do. I think there's a couple different factors behind that one. I mean, the style of basketball is just a lot more aesthetically pleasing. They're a much better yeah. offensive team. They're a much more refined offensive team. Um, it, it's, and they're, I think they're a game or two better now. I, I tweeted that before the Nets game. So they're, they're a game or two better than their record through 48 games last season. Um, and the the subtext to that, the context of that is that was on the heels of a six-game losing streak that was basically – there were just so many extenuating circumstances baked into that. So it's a little bit forgivable. It's They went on a really, really arduous West Coast road trip right after the trade deadline. You're not only integrating a bunch of fresh faces, but trying to acclimate to an entirely different style of play. Like a guy like Nikola Vucevic – joins uh, a team and he just immediately transforms everything that you have to do. It's still a young roster uh, by relative standards. So it's a lot of young guys who are still kind of finding their footing in the league, learning how to play with a whole set of new guys and they play tough competition. You know, they go Spurs, Warriors, uh, Suns, Jazz all on the road as the first four games out of the trade deadline. So it was, it it is stark. um, But I think because of those extenuating circumstances, because the offense has been, like I said, more refined because of the leap a guy like Zach Levine has made. I think there's a lot, a lot more cause for optimism that this stretch of schedule coming up in April where they play more teams that aren't, I'm not going to say winnable games or games that they should necessarily win because it's such a random season, mm-hmm. but teams, you know, like the Pacers, like the, not to compare the Pacers to the Cavs or anything like that, but just teams that are in that kind of seven to 11 or 12 range in the East. I think they'll probably start to put things together in a more results-based way um, moving forward. So I definitely would feel more optimistic about the team this year, not to mention just a, a competent coaching staff is in place. That's <laughs> That does make a difference. Yeah, There's a competent front office in place. Like there's, there's a lot of different factors to it, but I certainly would be more optimistic. Yeah. I have a, I have a couple of friends that are pretty uh, big Bulls fans. So they've been psyched with this year, just how everything's gone in general. Um, what's really stood out to me. I mean, obviously like you mentioned with the offense, like the, Phoenix game was fantastic. I really enjoyed that game. I've really liked seeing like Troy Brown. I thought that pickup was great. I've yeah. always been so confused and as why Scott Brooks never played him in, in Washington. Turns so out he was confused as well at, from his <laughs> comments that came out after the game yesterday. Um, but the defense has really struggled. They're 29th in the five games that they played with Vooch. Um, mm. I think that's a lot less on Vooch and more just, you know, craziness of, of having to overturn like half the roster. Um, but what really sticks out to me is Lowry Markinen. I mean, um, I think a lot of people who, who, who don't see the Bulls consistently, like they look at his stats and they look great. And he's obviously a very good shooter, like uh, at least this year. Um, and I'm trying to not feel uber negative. Uh, I'm sure he's a great kid, but like just in terms of how he fits on the roster, it just it's really wonky right now, at least by my oh, eye. And, and by mine, too, and a lot of people up close to the team and actually it was kind of funny when he got off to the hot start to the season through his first 15 games or so, you know, he was on 50, 40 splits, averaging career high 19 points or something in that uh, neighborhood. Um, obviously he has a, a stint that is a little bit out of his control on the COVID protocol list. And then he had a shoulder sprain that he missed time with. Um, so there, there were little ups and downs in terms of his availability, but production wise, I mean, it was all great. Um, he was shooting the ball at a more efficient clip than he ever had in his career. But when you looked kind of a couple layers deeper into it, a lot of the indicators that there, or there were a lot of indicators that there was a possibility of it regressing. Uh, he's, you know, as catch and shoot dependent this season as he has been at any point in his career, but the, um, 
the narrative, the, the, the trope that the Bulls were trotting out there at the beginning of the season was we're not going to let him continue to be a catch and shoot forward. We want him to be a guy that can attack mismatches, create a little bit off the dribble, play make, um, you know, uh, get his by cutting and moving off the ball and things like that. And he's done a little bit of that. Uh, but the early season success was clearly pretty predicated on just hot shooting. And my question always, even as that was going on, was if this doesn't sustain kind of what's his counter, what's the layer or the wrinkle that he's added into his game. And when shooting regression came for him, it kind of fell apart. I mean, defensively, you mentioned the Bulls had a lot, uh, you know, the, the sum of the Bulls parts are really the problem defensively, not necessarily one individual guy. Yeah. But Lowry's a tough, a tough guy in the modern NBA in terms of what position does he guard um, with the, the power forward spot just around the league downsizing to the degree that it is. He's not necessarily the most fleet footed on the perimeter. He's not necessarily a rim protector either. So you always had that underlying concern. And then obviously with the trade, he's, he hasn't been cast out of the rotation, but he's now in the 20 to 25 minutes a game range. He's not starting. Um, he's playing minutes at the three, uh, which is just interesting to me. I guess the <laughs> yes, diplomatic yeah. way I can put it. Um, and he's being, he's put in a position now where this team is so front court heavy that he's being asked to do a lot of attacking mismatches because if he's playing the three, he's just, you know, by proxy going to have a lot of smaller guys matched up on him. And as much as he's shown uh, flashes of being able to do that, it's not, the most comfortable aspect of his game posting up and facing up and attacking uh, downhill like that. So it's been interesting. And with the restricted free agency coming up, it's not a secret that the bulls front office was open to trading with the trade deadline. That was widely reported. And it casts a shadow of, first of all, might they look to sign and trade him this off season, which for me, just looking at how Patrick Williams has developed, especially in his minutes at the four, I think you could turn Larry Markin into something that's a little bit more um, useful to the, to this team, the way that it's constructed. Um, and if they do want to keep them just like how high are they willing to go from a monetary perspective? Um, there's, there's a lot clouding him and it's just kind of crazy that it's all come together like this in the last month or two um, when he started the season so hot and it was so, Oh, in a contract here, he's looked so great, but the underlying factors always warned that there might be this turnaround. And now you've kind of seen it happen. You've seen him move to the bench and, uh, there's just a lot, a lot more questions than answers with him right now. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, so it's it's kind of funny because like you're mentioning with the Nets game, uh, my buddy was texting me as it's going on because I was uh, I was doing family stuff yesterday, so I couldn't pay attention. Um, yeah. so he texted me to start off. He's like, uh, Joe Harris is guarding Larry Markinen. I'm like, okay. He's like, uh, Landry Shamit is now guarding Larry Markin as the game's progressing. And then finally, we get towards the end of the first quarter. He's like, Kyrie Irving is now standing out in the corner on Larry Markin. I'm like, oh, this is. This is this kind of game, but yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can't punish those kinds of mismatches, like it's sort of like a little bit of the same thing that's happened with Miles Turner sometimes, and he's gotten a lot better at it now, um, and has been actually fantastic at attacking closeouts now. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I- I'm really interested to see how things work with him, and it just seems like the writing's kind of on the wall a little bit without having anything to really go off of on that. But um, speaking on like a more of a positive note, though, I do want. I mean, I, I have to just we just got to talk about that really quick, like. He was when the team was really struggling at the beginning of the year. Um, he was like the bright spot for me. Like I watched, like I think Bulls viewing was like requisite for me when Thad was on his triple du- triple double Thadjik Johnson streak, which was just glorious in in every regard, man. Um, I don't know how much you've like followed along with his career um, because, like, I don't know. He was he came into the league when I was in middle school, uh, like somewhere in there, and yeah. so I've just always watched him growing up. And then I started covering the Pacers and like uh, like right after he left. Um, and it just like the way that his role has changed throughout his career is like completely wild. Um, and like, he was kind of serving as a facsimile as a point of a point guard, considering like how little creation there is on the team. 
Um, what, what was it like kind of experiencing that and, and watching the way that he was growing? Uh, or, I mean, I guess you could say growing in, in, in his role. Yeah, well, I, I you always knew that there was more to Thad Young than what he got to show last year because yes. yeah. last year he ended up in a situation where, I mean, it almost soured pretty quickly because he was it was so perimeter tethered to his credit. By the end of the season, he was shooting either his best uh, percentage from three of his career or second or third best um, on, on a high volume of attempts by his standards. But it just wasn't the Thad Young. And I, I wasn't like watching every game of his in the past, but it just wasn't the Thad Young that I thought that the Bulls were getting necessarily mm-hmm. um, offensively. And then this year he's come in and been, like you said, I mean, a really big time passing hub distributor unlocks so much for their offense in terms of picking out cutters. He's opened up a lot for Zach Levine because, you know, Zach just with all the leaps that he's made this year, he faces double teams and traps out of the pick and roll so often that not only having a guy like Thad Young to dump off to, but having just a read that is that simple. And then you have him in the, they call it the pocket of the defense uh, in a four on three scenario where he can pass dribble or shoot. And he's pretty reliable in any of those triple threat options. Um, he's just been phenomenal, you know, career high in assists, obviously. Um, he's done pretty good work uh, conversely to the Lowry point uh, attacking mismatches uh, out of the post. He's really, th- this Bulls team is not a team, at least pre-deadline that got to the free throw line a ton. He's somebody that has a little bit of that physicality to his game um, inside, obviously defensively versatile, um, can get out on the perimeter a little bit and cover gaps for guys um, around the floor. He was actually, again, before the deadline, because now the front court is so loaded with guys that probably should be getting minutes. Uh, before the deadline, he was playing the highest share of his minutes at center in his career. He was closing games at the small ball five. And, um, you know, because he hasn't necessarily been a floor spacer um, this season, that has just been a huge um, uh a huge wrinkle for the bulls to be able to throw in just in terms of lineup versatility and things like that. I, I got to say though, and I, this is something I wanted to ask you because you watched him in his Indiana days up close, like, and he says that he's kind of always been very comfortable when you ask him about his passing and his facilitating, especially on the short role, he says that he's always been super comfortable in a role like that. But when you see him averaging four and a half assists a game, yeah, doing, that <laughs> does that even surprise you? Cause I, you know, I know he's a smart and savvy player, but I didn't, I just didn't know that he had all of the tricks that he's shown in his bag. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because that, I mean, that, that totally piqued my interest as soon as I saw him, like, I mean, I've been watching bulls games. I try and watch like every team, like once or twice a week. So I'd, you know, I'd caught like a decent amount. And then I, I think I'd, I'd missed like two games straight and I started seeing some of his assist numbers that he was putting up and I was like, okay, I have to go back and watch these games. And um, it, I think part of it's just, he never got asked to do that kind of role. And I think he's really interesting to me because just like his, his ability to ad- adapt to a role is like, remarkable like Unbelievable, when yeah. he played with philly early on in his career i mean he goes from like because i did like a deep dive on this he, he went like i think he shot like close to 200 threes his first year in the league and then doug collins came in and he was very anti-three and i think thad shot like 12 threes in the next three seasons playing for doug collins and then he shot 200 again in the, his last year in philly and then he goes to brooklyn and um oh no he goes to minnesota yeah. Then he's there for like half a year and it's just like a weird conglomeration. Then he's in a really terrible Brooklyn team, but he's asked to be like a post score. And um, actually I'll have to send you a picture. I have like some of his shot charts, like he loves posting up on the left side. And I, I, I think I watched like three straight games from 2015 where his shot chart is strictly all on the left side of the basket. And he took like 14 shots. I'm like, it's just like the most bad thing ever. But to answer your question, like, no, um, he's always been capable of making like, some nice passes, but he doesn't have like a great handle, honestly, um, yeah. at least for when he was playing the three a lot. Um, but now as like things have kind of spaced out and 
I mean, to his credit, he's definitely improved his handle a little bit, but um, I think it's just the coaching staff saying, Hey, we have nobody who can do this for us. And uh, it's really interesting too. Cause like, I think the, the way that people think of him, like, in like, okay, he's getting assists. So we must be running things it's like, no, not really. Like, it's like, like you mentioned, like, I think a lot of people have an interesting notion of what like a post hub is. And it's really just like, like you're mentioning, like, I called it almost anti-gravity when I looked at it at the beginning of the year, because like nobody was guarding him on the perimeter. So they mm. just started shifting him. Okay, you're just going to sit in the middle of the defense, move around so that the guys that have passing lanes and, and they're open. They're going to dump the ball off to you and you just get the ball off as quick as possible. It's almost like building a, a skip pass out of a second pass. So it's like, He's the middleman. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, been and, he's so, and he's such a quick decision maker. He's so good at kind of just doing the math of where the help is coming from and who's going to be the other guy in the perimeter. And there was a point, I haven't checked these numbers in a while, but there was a point in the season where just every bull, if you go to NBA.com's uh, pass dashboard, just every bull was shooting an outrageous percentage off of passes from Thad Young because he was just always finding them in an open scenario. And part of that, the, to your point about the anti gravity, is the gravity that Zach Levine is attracting. Yeah. Which puts him in an advantage scenario to begin with. To your point on the adapting roles, last season, he took 222 threes, made 35.6% of them, which is the second highest of his career. This year through 44 games, almost as many minutes, only 400 minutes off of what he played last season, he's taken 25 threes. He's made six of them, 25%. Yeah, he just but he's been just a, such a valuable player to the point that Zach, early in the season, as he's having an all-star caliber year, the best year of his career, convinces the new front office to build around him like he's been so good. He calls Thad the MVP of the team, um, you know, a couple of weeks into the year. That's that's just the kind of season he's had. Yeah, definitely, man. I It's been really cool to watch Zach as well. Like, um, I think my opinion of Zach has changed a ton this year. I was always, like, relatively high on him, but it's just, like, the leap that he's taken. I think not enough people are noticing, like, this is, like, a historic season that Zach's having. Like, it's that good offensively. And he's improved a lot defensively, too. Like, he's still not awesome, but I think he's been uh, a lot better in that area. Um, what is, what, I mean, what, what really stands out to you in, in how Zach has improved this year and, and what's, uh, what's been most different compared to the prior. Yeah. Well, my, my, my opinion of him certainly, uh, changed or evolved, I guess would be a good way to put it just cause coming into the year, trying to forecast or telegraph what, or predict what the front office's moves were going to be to shake up the roster. The first guy that you go to, and it's not because Zach wasn't always, I mean, I think he's always been a little bit underrated of a player on the mm -hmm. national scale, but when you just looked at how value his contract was for this season and next season, making $19.5 million for the, uh, for the proficiency that he could score with, and you could always just kind of see that his skill set fit into a more winning context would work. So I thought that he was, you know, the number one trade candidate on the team coming into this season, if they were going to take the full rebuild route. And then he just totally took a sledgehammer to that. And so he just, it, be, it got to a point where if you're a Bulls fan or a Bulls observer or somebody watching this play out, you can kind of, I'm not saying he's Jimmy Butler or that he'll ever be Jimmy Butler, but you can see how they could fall into that trap again, where it's all right, let's move this guy for as much draft capital as you can. And then spend the next three or four years chasing a guy who is this good um, and then never quite get there. Um, so, so he certainly uh, outplayed that possibility. Um, the front office, I mean, really, he wasn't even in rumors going up until the deadline, which is really one of the first times in his career that you could really say that. Um, and in terms of what stood out to me about his game, um, the defense, it, just the compete level there, um, he's taken on star defensive assignments. I mean, I, obviously the results are going to be mixed, but just in terms of his awareness, um, in terms of how seriously he's taken the defensive side of the floor, I think that's gotten better year by year. And then this year you're seeing it play out uh, in a results way that's super noticeable. 
Um, again, not necessarily a plus defender, but you know, when you actually watch him, it's, it's, it's certainly much improved. Um, facilitating the assist numbers have come down a little bit. So have the turnovers, uh, but he was really uh, doing a lot of work, just kind of driving, kicking, spraying out to shooters, generating a lot of uh, corner threes. Um, the Bulls got off to a really hot shooting start to the season. He's a big part of that. Uh, and then just the scoring efficiency. I mean, for him to still be 50, 40, 85 splits, basically scoring at the volume that he is. And that's even come down over the last few games as he's missed a game with a, with an ankle sprain. He's still kind of getting his timing and rhythm back from that. That's pretty apparent. Uh, but just the efficiency has been unbelievable. And that takes you, you know, you add all that together and it takes you to the point that a guy at 26 who has steadily improved and we didn't necessarily think that this level was going to be here, but now it is, it's kind of like, where does he go next? Um, it makes it in this front office's estimation worth investing enough to get a second all-star to pair with them. A guy in Vucevic who is obviously limited defensively um, as is Zach, but offensively they should be such a potent pairing that if you can put the right kind of context around them, you can make it work. They should complement each other uh, really well. Um, so I, I guess those are the biggest things that have, uh, that have stood out as well as just, and he's been on this for years, just the desire to win. I mean, that's any NBA player will say that, uh, but really just for the amount that Zach has lost in his career. And it hasn't always necessarily been his fault, especially in Chicago because of how the team has been managed or mismanaged over the last couple of years. I mean, that's clearly just front and center for him. And he's clearly bought into everything that Billy Donovan has tried to instill in him and challenge him to do uh, in pursuit of that. So it's been fun. I, I just like when players, the prevailing um, sentiment amongst, you know, the NBA viewing public or uh, media or anything like that. I like it when players take a narrative about them and prove it wrong and just completely yeah. flip it on its head. I think you see that with Julius Randle this year. I mean, you could go down the line. Um, so it's just been really cool to watch him reinvent and continue to evolve himself. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll see. I mean, next year is really the big year for this trade too. Once the front office finishes building this roster um, and I'm curious to see what they can do for the rest of this year too. Yeah, for sure. And I think I would, I would say to that, I mean, like, what is, what is your expectation for the team for the rest of the year? Or like, what are you hoping to see? I, I have a hard time making predictions with these guys because they're so unpredictable on a night to night basis. And, and this NBA season is so random. Yeah, yeah this season's wild. I have no idea how to even analyze it sometimes. It's unbelievable. I, I think I would be surprised if they didn't end up in the top 10. Um, I think when you make a trade like they did for Vucevic, I don't think it's a disaster if they're a playing out. Um, but clearly they made that move, not only with the intention of uh, continuing to build the roster and compete for the next couple of years, but they clearly wanted to take a step forward this season too. And with this April slate that they have, they should, they're getting a decent amount of competition that's under 500 and they should be able to start piling some wins and get back closer to that one or two games below 500 that they were around the all-star break. So I, I think I would be, if I'm the bulls, I would be disappointed to finish lower than eighth given the investment. Mm -hmm. And if you can make the best of seven, um, round. I think that's meaningful for player development and all the cliches you could think of there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that would really be my baseline. I think, again, it's not unsalvageable if they were to be a plan out or not make the playoffs, but it would certainly be disappointing in my view. Um, if I was just looking for, to see this roster make meaningful steps so that you go into the off season confident that you don't have to overhaul the whole thing again, like you could just add to what you have, um, and have a decent infrastructure there and then you know we'll see what happens in the offseason they obviously are now down two first round picks and um they've cut into their cap flexibility a little bit but i certainly think they'll try to find a way to address the point guard position and um add some defense to the wing and, and things like that i'll be interested to watch 
Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, talking about making it into the top, into the top 10 is, uh, it's an interesting point because you look at everything now, Atlanta has been absolutely on fire lately and they're in the four seed. Um, but we schedule the rest of the way too for them. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, actually I'll have to, again, I'll have to send it to you. Uh, one of my friends who covers the Hawks sent me a video that somebody made today. I don't know if you saw it already, but it's, uh, somebody, uh, put in, uh, like the the song regulate to uh to, to like all this stuff going on with the with the hawks it's hilarious man it's uh absolutely fantastic but uh um just in terms of looking at where chicago's at i mean you can see why they'd be a team on the rise i know one and four over the last five but it takes time to to integrate new pieces indiana's been in kind of a similar spot really struggling uh since karis lavert came back um i mean they were they've been a little bit better but they were struggling as well beforehand um Boston is still kind of figuring things out. The Knicks have been in free fall a little bit, and Charlotte has been uh, – I mean, they're now down, like, three of their yeah, best the, players, so it's just – Yeah. It's going to be hard for them. One of the most fun teams. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, they've been, them. like, my league pass favorite. Um, and so it just makes the game tomorrow almost all that much more important because it's already split series one-to-one between the Pacers and Bulls. Um, and both teams are trying to claw their way back in, even though I'm, I'm not sure Indiana should be. Uh, they're going to be – um, cause this, I mean, there's on two different trajectories this season, but that's a whole other conversation, but, uh, I don't know, man, I guess. So first thing I would ask you, I mean, how, what, what are your thoughts on the Pacers this season? Uh, or, or do you have any questions on them? Yeah. I mean, definitely a couple. It's funny. The, the bulls, the bulls perspective on the Pacers is so funny. Cause that second game of the season is like the standard around bulls, Twitter, and even with Billy <laughs> Donovan of how God awful it was at the beginning of the year. Um, those two, just the two, uh, season opening blowout losses to the Hawks and then them. Um, then obviously they got them at the, um, um, in that overtime game, I think it was back in February, the, the days all blend together now. So I'll be interested to see how the third, the rubber match goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when you, when you say that you're not sure, I, I'm curious about this just cause I don't know many Pacers fans or at least have in my personal life. When you say they should maybe go the other direction, what, um, just kind of what do you mean by that? Like, what do you, what would you, what would your ideal vision for the team be given where they're at right now? Yeah, it's interesting. So I know um, it, it's it, trying to gauge what fans think and and what would probably be best for the team is like so difficult because it's uh it's funny. I mean, this team other than the Spurs and uh, gosh, who else? Probably, I mean, just the Spurs, like other than the Spurs, they've probably been the most consistent team in terms of making the playoffs every year um, for, I mean, since, 2000 so yeah. uh, I mean I think I want to say uh, 15 out of the last 20 years they've made the playoffs so yeah. I I mean but fans are really frustrated with going out in the first round which I get but I think there were a lot of extraneous circumstances that kind of go into that uh, but still you're out in the first round um, I think I look at this team and where they're at this just with the way that the season is set up and how the draft is like how deep this draft is um I just think that there's a real opportunity to not stealth stealth think is the wrong way to put it. But like, I just think I've seen like enough from this team to say, I, I don't really understand uh, what going and, and trying. Well, I guess that's a little bit too cut and dry to say, like, you're going to get something like you mentioned earlier. There's all the stuff that comes out of going into a playoff series. But at the same time, this team just isn't there yet. I, I think like they're a year or two away from being really competitive, or I should say just a year. Cause if I, fans here too that's going to be a, that's going to be a problem but um i mean tj warren's just out he's out for the year he's yeah, probably the second most important player on the team um with still trying to integrate Karras after he's coming back from his, i mean having cancer and having to have it removed like that's 
I understand why he's struggling right now. Um, I just think that the way that things are set up and the way that the East has fallen out, if they fell to 11th, that wouldn't be the worst because they'd get a chance to draft in the lottery for the first time since they drafted Miles Turner in 2015. Is that um, true? Wow, yeah. that is amazing. Exactly. Wow. So it's like, I think it's just that that's been the biggest issue for them. They're never able to uh, like, you can look at Aaron holidays, uh, unfortunately had a really rough year, but last year he was good. Um, Gogo Bataze starting to figure things out a little bit and he's been an impact, but like they really need to fill out the end of the roster with guys who are, um, you know, who, from, from the draft that actually make an impact. And I think if you get the chance to draft somebody, like maybe you draft, top 10 or it would probably would be lower end of that but still if you just the, the the difference between getting the eighth pick and the and the 21st or 22nd pick is immense um yeah. and i think being you able to have smoothed out, smoothed out lottery odds you just have yeah. a chance to make that jump like exactly with a shot so there. so it's like if you can just have that guy for the next two or three years with what i view this window as for the team or and what the, the front office views the window as for the team like a i think it extends the window a little bit and b it makes it easier to resign guys. Cause if you can have a guy that's, you know, by year two or three is pretty impactful on, on a rookie scale deal. I mean, that totally changes the calculus for what you can do. Yeah. And this draft, I mean, I'm no draft expert, but everything that I've watched and everything that I've read and seen, like if you can be in the top 10 this year, you've got a, a pretty good shot at a, at a fruitful bite of the apple. I, I have two more for you. One um, mm -hmm. probably that'll need to be expanded upon and then a quick one to finish. Um, what are your thoughts on Nate Bjorkren year one, especially compared to the Nate McMillan thing down in Atlanta? I don't even know how much Pacers fans or, or people even think about Nate McMillan anymore. I know that was <laughs> season and now to see him having the success and for all the time, I mean, again, I'm coming at this from the outsider perspective. So I remember coming into the season and there was a lot of buzz around Bjorkren. He's going to modernize the offense and they look great coming out of the gate. Um, but it seems like there's been a little bit of a kind of back and forth here as the season has gone on. I'm, I'm curious what you think of the job that he's done in year one. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really again, it's something that's tough to analyze. But I think in looking at everything, I've just tried to say process over results because yeah. uh, I mean, the team started off eight and four. They got a little bit of national headlines, and then they traded Victor Oladipo. Um, and that just changed everything. I mean, you go from having a guy who he actually was playing really well in Indiana. He wasn't, you know, back to all-star heights or anything, but you go from having a guy who just like we talked about with, with that and, and, and Zach and, and shot gravity, like they went from having the gravity of a guy who was getting guarded like an all-star still um, to, I mean, bringing Justin holiday or Doug McDermott into the starting lineup. And that's, they're good players, but it, a made them not as good because they're they're not getting the same kind of uh, quality looks to play off of, and it's just yeah. it, it changes the roles for the entire rotation. Um, so that really sent the team into a dive. Um, but ultimately, I think there have been there's been a lot of good, but also just a lot of real head scratching stuff. Like I, I think I would say like eighty five to ninety percent of the stuff has been really quality, but then like like if you just cut out ten percent of it, it would make a lot more sense. Like. Um, you've probably seen clips of it. Like they will pressure a non-shooting big 30 feet out. So like they were pressuring Andre Drummond when he was still playing with the Cavs, like to the logo and, and stuff like that. And it's just like, why? Like that, that's the kind of stuff that's like really simple. Like, why would we do this when we have, you know, like Miles Turner is one of the three best room protectors on planet earth and yeah. you're playing him out 28 feet from the rim. Uh, and it like happened uh, against Brooklyn last week uh, or two weeks ago, I think. Um, they like, fa they face guard, uh, they face guard centers on inbound passes 
and DeAndre Jordan just cut to the rim and easy dunk. Like it's just stuff like that. And it, it happens routinely. Um, and, and, I mean, with the defense, they, they play a really pressure uh, aggressive scheme, um, which it is killed, it killed the bulls in that second game. Like, yeah. Sure they, and, they nightmares about it. and since then it's been terrible. <laughs> it's been <laughs> ever since they traded Victor, the defense has just looked wrong. Um, they had a top 10 defense in that those first 12 games. Um, and since then the communication on the back end is awful. Like um, nobody is really capable of consistently rotating low and making an, an impact. Um, and also it's just like the point of attack defense is not good. Like they don't have a lot of high level defenders or even really average to above average point of attack defenders. Um, Both have the same problem. Yeah. So as good as miles Turner has been this year, like it's been his, he, I mean, I think he's, he's not going to win defensive player of the year, but he'd be probably my second uh, if I had a ballot right now. Um, but it, I mean, without him, the the defense just falls apart and it's not on Sabonis. It's a lot just like, like we mentioned, like if you, if you can't stop the ball and there's nobody on the back line to stop it, then, I mean, that's, that's pretty easy pickings, but um, the, the offense has been, has been better though. I've liked the offense a lot. They don't really shoot a ton of threes. Um, but actually when they shoot a ton of threes, it's normally better for the other team because they're not getting to the rim at all. Um, but they're, I think they're either last time I checked, I think it was like yesterday. Um, they're first in the league still in, in rim attempts, but like they're first in the league in location effective field goal percentage, but like 15th in actual field goal percentage. So then it, you know, that's where the drop off is. Yeah. The bulls, the bulls had a even wider chasm than that last season. Uh, but people were less willing to forgive it because, it was Jim Boylan uh, who was at the <laughs> yes. forefront of it. Um, last thing I want to ask you, because I'm curious, is another outsider thing that I saw it and I was like, whoa, I, I didn't realize that that was something that was feasible in, in Pacers world. Uh, just like the buzz around Malcolm Brogdon potentially being traded at the trade deadline. I remember reading that and hopping on the trade machine and being like, what can I build <laughs> yeah. here potentially? Because I've always loved, I know he's had injury concerns and things like that, but I've always loved Brogdon's game. I saw him as uh, a nice fit with a guy like Zach Levine and I knew the Bulls wanted to address the point guard position. And I had a hunch that if they were going to make moves, it would be in the win now direction in the buying yeah. direction as opposed to stripping it down. A was that as much of a surprise as someone who's plugged into the team as it was externally um, that, that reported desire and what would it have taken if I was a bulls executive to pry him, to pry him away? Yeah. Um, those are two good questions. I mean, I think number one, uh, the initial news break was like a little bit surprising, um, but then, you know, diving into it, I, I wasn't, you know, like, I, I think a lot more got made out of it by aggregation and everything than, um, than the actual article. Like, I mean, Vincent Goodwill knows this shit. He's a really good reporter. Um, but I mean, like literally what he reported is they're, they're listening to calls. So like, I mean, Kevin Pritchard has talked about that in press conferences. He's like, you know, nobody on the team, there's nobody on the team that we view as untouchable. Like we will take calls and listen because that's our job and we'll gauge, uh, trade interest from people and they're really good. I mean, they let people know if they're in trade discussions, um, nothing ever came out with that. So I don't think that he was ever like seriously considered a trade target, but I'm sure that they were listening to calls on him. Um, but in terms of what he, I do wonder what his value would actually be. He's not somebody who I think would get traded. Like I think other than TJ Warren, um, he's probably the least likely to get traded player on the team, in my opinion, or somewhere around there, because, I'm pretty certain that they're going to end up splitting up the bigs uh, this off season. Um, just given That's what I've seen years, right? Yeah, no, exactly, man. Like it's, it's at the point where it's like, 
just uh, I, I hate having to talk about it because there's a uh, there's like stands on either side and you talk about one guy and what he's doing well or what he's not doing well. And then the other side just like comes out and it's a uh, it's a good time. Twitter is a Twitter is a great place. But um, no, I think you'd be like a first round pick and a young player, or, like maybe a younger player and like some kind of filler. It just it, it would it would depend on the deal. But um, he'd certainly he, he does a lot for the Pacers that I don't think can be replicated. Yeah, my, myself and some other uh, Bulls media guys and some uh, some fans that I talked to, um, we're kicking that around just for fun. But you make a great point on the distinction between shopping and listening for offers because you're so right that that that, ag- that just kind of the aggregation machine that is NBA media and you know what I mean. Sports kind of like we do it too. I'm not holier than thouing anybody, but um, it is something where that stuff can get conflated when really if the report is that people are listening on calls for someone, it means that they're doing almost the bare minimum of their job. Like you can't just leave the phone uh, unanswered. So uh, that that's a good point. That's a good point there. Exactly, man. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to this game tomorrow. Uh, I, I'm pretty torn on who I would choose. I'm not going to make you choose because I don't know. Games happen. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it it should be a good game. And it's really important for both teams that it uh, goes their way. Um, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time, man. Uh, where can people find your work? And is there anything that you're working on right now that you want people to know about? Yeah, for sure. Um, it, on Twitter, it's at Rob underscore Shafe. Uh, we do a podcast over at NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, if you're interested in the Bulls angle of things at any point, uh, it's called the Bulls Talk Podcast. Uh, we do those Tuesday and Friday every week. We have guests on occasionally. That's always a good time. Um, and then, yeah, NBC Sports Chicago. We have an app. It's called the My Teams app by NBC Sports. Um, that's where all of my articles and musings and, and things like that are. So, uh, but yeah, man, it, it was great to come on. It, it was a good time and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And to everyone listening, of course, go follow Rob and everything he does. Uh, and most importantly, just have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.